the living on less, eating the rice and beans. <laughs> Not for me. It's never been my vibe. I've never <laughs> been like, this is the life that I want. Hey guys, and welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Michael James, aka The Bougie Budgeter. Michael is the founder of BougieBudgets.com, an online platform dedicated to teaching Gen Z professionals how to finance their best lives. Upon graduating with her MBA focused in accounting, Michael became a certified financial literacy instructor. She has a fresh new take on managing money and finances. Her teachings use pop culture references and relatable language to help her audience understand confusing money concepts such as budgeting, saving, and investing. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the podcast. So before we get into how we can be bougie on a budget just like you, I would love to hear a little bit about your money story and how you got to where you are today. Number one, thank you so much for inviting me. Always love to have great conversation. So my money story, I think that my money story is it's fun. <laughs> and oh, let's hear it. I like to say that I am the the product of what happens when you absolutely teach your children about money and where you see when or what happens when you see women in the household taking on the financial role even when she has a husband. So my that. mom is actually the the person who taught me everything I know about money. Well, most things, most things. And from a very young age, she was always the one who kept the money and kept the budget of the household. So I just thought that that's what everybody's mama did. <laughs> <laughs> and I found out that that is not the truth. But right. then, and when I was 15, actually, I took my first accounting class. So I ended up in the accounting class, I don't know how. Wait, and yeah, I, was, I was about to ask, what accounting class was this? Was this ooh, our, school or our, like an extracurricular thing? It was not extracurricular. It was actually our high school had a finance academy. And oh, my gosh. Basically, I feel like you had like the, the most like different experience. Like most <laughs> people don't even have finance classes in school, especially not at that age. Well, our Academy of Finance like was didn't have that many students. And this is how I say it's kind of why I didn't know that we had an accounting class in our school either. It's one of those classes where if you don't fill out or if you don't get into all the electives that you want, they'll just throw everyone in that class. So I got thrown into the accounting class and I told my teacher, like, listen, listen, Miss Anderson, I know I'm here right now. But once I get my schedule fixed and, and straightened out, I am not going to be in this class because I don't want to take accounting. Right. And then that was my sophomore year of high school. And from that moment, from that is when I fell in love with accounting and finance. And then that inspired me to go to college, to get my MBA, to just indulge myself in accounting and finance. And I've always loved it. My mind always worked with like the general ledger and stuff like that. Like it always oh, wow. it just clicked for me. And then, yeah. So then I went to college, I got my undergrad and then I, and I got my, my graduate degree. And I actually tried to be our, our, our professors were doing this grant. Right. And it was a grant about financial literacy, which obviously I love, mm -hmm. but we were going into the low income 
neighborhoods. So I went to Hampton University and they would go into the low income neighborhoods and teach financial education. And I was like, oh, that is amazing. Like, I would love to be a part of this grant. I want to know everything. And do you know they would not let me on the grant? Why? I applied twice. They, you know, sometimes, yeah, you always got to hate it when you pop in. Always. (laughs) (laughs) And they would not let me on the grant. I tried twice and they would not pick me. And I was like, whatever, fine. And so then after that, when I when I graduated, I was like, I still want to I still love financial literacy. I still want to dedicate myself to to teaching financial education. And then I I found I found space and solace in uh, teaching young professionals because I was there. I, I had my five thousand dollar bonus. I had my good job, my good salary. I was living at home mm-hmm. with my mama. So I didn't have to pay no rent. And yeah, that was very I was smart. like. <laughs> I need I need to I need a budget. I need to do better. And the only budgeting information I found were moms, stay-at-home moms budgeting for their kids and their husbands and their husbands had was bringing home $250,000 a year and or they were like had their Etsy shops and I'm like, "Bro, this is not me. I don't have kids. <laughs> I don't yeah. have a house. I don't have any of these things and I'm not I want to go to brunch and I want to go on trips and I want to enjoy myself, but still be a high earner and understand how to, how to multiply my money. And because I didn't find that information, I was like, well, I'm going to learn as much as I need to know. And I'm going to share it with other people because I know if I'm having this issue, someone else is. And that is how the bougie budgeter came to be. That's awesome. That actually sounds pretty identical to my story too. So (laughs) I can relate a hundred percent when I graduated college, same thing, got a bonus, was starting to manage money on my own for the first time ever. Of course, we want to do things the right way, be responsible adults, and looked online, tried to find financial educators out here, and could not relate to anyone. So that's pretty much what led me to starting this business. Obviously, first hustle, then brunch. Brunch is always on my mind. So I can agree with you. (laughs) I can agree with you there. That's so funny. So I guess when you first started helping people manage their finances, what did you do? Were you, you said you were working with young professionals. Was that when you started your Instagram account or did you go to colleges? Like, how did you get started? So how I got started was just with Instagram. I I was like, this is, this is what I know. I don't know if people are going to listen to me. I don't know if people even care about my journey, but I'm going to say it. And I'm whatever I learn, I'm going to teach. And I think that that's what a lot of people appreciate by me is that I never have claimed to be a guru. I've never claimed to know everything about finances. I will tell you quickly what I don't know, but I'm also not afraid to say that. And I'm not afraid to stand 10 toes down on the things that I do know, the things that I know that works. And I think that people appreciate that because I don't try to talk to people like they're stupid. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like. That it's just not helpful for any, helpful for anyone, right? Yeah. We money is already weird. It's already like people don't like to talk about it, but we gotta talk about it. But then we kind of don't want to talk about it until we don't have any money. But then mm-hmm. we're stressed, and I wanted to yeah. create an environment where people felt okay to ask a question. And if they did not know, I'm going to tell you. And I don't care if you didn't know. Now you know. And now mm-hmm. with this information, you can go and do better. Yeah, 
Yeah, I love that you're so transparent. And I feel like that's super important in this space, especially because there's a lot of comparison. And, you know, we're all in the same boat learning together. And I like that you're very honest about that. We all make mistakes and we're just figuring it out as we go. So how did you cultivate such a positive money mindset? Where did that come from? And you might say your mom. I know we just heard that story. But yeah, is is there any uh, anything that helped you cultivate a more positive mindset? I think that I chose to be in a good place. And it's really hard because sometimes things just don't be looking good, right? Mm-hmm. Things don't always, and I'm never going to be like, every day is great. And I just, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day, I just say it's a moment. Like sometimes I'm having a really bad day. And right. sometimes I'm having a really bad month. And sometimes I'm having a really bad quarter and sometimes I can't see it on the other, on the other side. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I don't take things as it being good or bad. It's, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And now that I know what it is, I can choose to do this or I can choose to do that, but I got to make a choice. And it just, I feel like lifted a lot of weight off of me. Actually, (laughs) I love my best friends. And they're all completely different people. But I, I was having a really tough time a couple, maybe like a, a year or two ago, especially like just running a business, being a nine to fiver. It was just a lot. And I was talking to my best friend. I was like, I, I'm not really too sure about this idea. Like, I think mm-hmm. that I made a very stupid decision. And she looked your business at me or something else. Just just in life. Like, I can't okay. remember what the actual decision was, but I was mm-hmm. like, I. I think I made a very stupid decision and she looks at me and she's like, that's all right. You're probably going to make more stupid decisions. I mean, true. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I keep that with me so often. And even, even when I'm at work or when I'm doing other things, people ask me like, how am I so positive? I'm like, if I break something, I can fix it. And if I can't Mm -hmm. fix it, I'll just get something different. Like that. I can't do more with. You have to figure it out regardless. So, yeah. and there's no such thing as, as a wrong decision because you can always change your mind. And if you can't, you just make a new decision to fix whatever decision you had. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I love that approach because it's true. Like we're all going to make mistakes and the best thing is that we learn from it. So I guess along those same lines, can you share a time when you made a mistake managing your money or when it comes to budgeting? and how you overcame it, what you learned from it? I mean, I guess blowing $5,000 is a big, big enough right. mistake. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, like, so when I when I first got my job, I got $5,000. I was like, all right, cool. I got this, this, and I got the money up front. They paid the taxes on it, so I got the whole five stacks. Oh, nice. I'm like, I'm feeling very much rich girl. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm feeling it. and. <laughs> I can tell you I had bought a new Kate Spade purse. I bought some AirPods. And this was like not even AirPod Pro time. This was just AirPod. (laughs) The the very um, first. (laughs) Very first AirPod. And I think that is the only thing I can remember that I bought from that that $5,000. And I think that's the thing that triggered me. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I got to do something because I... I cannot keep spending money at this rate. I'm not going to have none left. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not trying to stick, be at my mama's house for the rest of my life. Okay. Like, I love her, but I need to yeah, go. I was about to say, I mean, at least you were smart about that, staying at home, <laughs> because if I could avoid paying rent for a few years, that would be really nice. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I came home. DC rent just does not make sense if my mama lives down the street. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I was really ready. And I didn't have any shame with coming back home. One of a couple of my friends did go back home. One of my friends didn't. At first, I was like really gung ho, like I can't go back home. I can't go back home. Like I got this master's degree. I did everything that I was supposed to do. Like why am I going back home? But then at the end of the day, I love my parents. I love being around my family. And I, I said something to my dad when I was moving back, and I was like, a lot of people decide to move back home when they're at rock bottom, mm-hmm. and when you're at rock bottom, you don't feel good. So you're already going through a financial crisis. So then, and you kind of already don't want to be at home, but you, you know, you love your family. Yeah. You don't really want to be at home. You're going through a financial crisis. So then I'm, the time that I'm going to be around my family is when I'm in such a nasty, negative mood and they only get to see me when I'm down on my luck. That's not fair for anybody. Right. Right. I, I want to be around my family when I'm up, when I feel great, when I'm happy. I want them to see me at a good time. And I don't want my family to only think of me or I don't want to only think of my family as there when I have nothing. They are there when I am fruitful, when I'm happy, when I have everything in the world. And maybe and maybe when things crumble and crash, they're there to support me too. Mm-hmm. So I I was like, I, I wanted to, I'm okay with moving back home and I'm fine with telling people that I live at home. I don't care. Some people don't have that option mm-hmm. and that sucks for them. But I exhausted the option because that was a, the perfect financial decision for me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was really smart. I've heard your story about living at home and I also am aware of how you've improved your net worth. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, so. I did improve my net worth by $50,000, over $50,000. No small feet. Claps for you. <laughs> Within the, awesome. last, the, in the last two years. And I made a conscious decision that I wanted to focus on increase instead of decrease. And anybody in that space, anybody who's looking at their financial net worth, anyone who is trying to figure out what their next steps are, I thought that my net worth was the most important thing. That was my most important goal. So I did things that was going to affect my financial net worth. And to to increase your net worth, you can only do one or two things. Decrease your debt or in- increase your, your investment. Those are the only, th- only two things that you can do. And I decided that I did not care about debt. Like, I, I know everyone loves that sexy, I paid off mm-hmm. $50,000. And I could have paid off $50,000 in in the last two years. I very well could have done that. But what would that have left me? Like, no investments, but no debt. I wanted to have more investments. And Mm -hmm. I made the conscious effort that I'm going to put as much while I'm while I'm living at home with my parents. And I don't have to worry about rent. I don't have to worry about those things. Put as much as I can into my 401k, put as much as I can into my investments milk that as much as I can mm-hmm. before I leave and use my investments, use the gains that I have from my investments to start paying off debt. So that's, that's so how smart. I did it. 
And I, I think that when we're having these conversations about debt and debt freedom, the living on less, eating the rice and beans. <laughs> Not for me. It's never been my vibe. I've never been like, this is the life that I want. Mm-hmm. I'm not eating pasta every day. I'm not biking 20 miles to work every day. Yeah. That's stupid. That is an incredible <laughs> time suck. <laughs> and like, I'm running a business. I'm working nine to five and I'm still partying every weekend. Like, I'm not doing all of that. And I don't believe in exiling myself to like social oblivion just in the name of debt freedom yeah that's stupid but if you do that if you do that shout out to you i hope you have fun it doesn't (laughs) sound like you did probably not (laughs) it doesn't sound like you did but i know i wanted to have fun i know i still wanted to travel and i yeah i threw as much money as i could i was saving actually i had this this conversation on tiktok where when I was making $77,000 a year, I was bringing home my checks. My, my biweekly checks was about $1,700. And somebody, it was a bunch of people, actually. I'm not going to say somebody. Like, there were so many comments like, oh, I make $75,000 and I bring home way more than that. I bring home way mm-hmm. more than that. I contribute 10% of my total income strictly yeah. to, to mm-hmm. my 401k. That's amazing. And then on top of that, whatever I took home, I also I also took 10% of my take home pay so $175 every paycheck $350 every month mm-hmm. I took that and put that into my my investment portfolio my individual brokerage portfolio and I have another IRA that I was putting money into I have investment I was like I want to invest I want to make sure that I'm growing my financial net worth as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. I hit $50,000 in my 401k and I have only been working for two and a half years. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, and so I don't care if you make, so you make less money than me and you're bringing home more take home pay. We got different goals and exactly. I'm fine with the, I'm fine with a smaller paycheck. If that means that it's building my financial net worth up. It's building yeah, up my 401k. It's going to pay off so much in the future. It's going to pay off so much. Yeah. And now that I am moving out, I am going to invest into my 401k a, a lot less. But then also you have to continue to think that my salary has doubled since I started working. My salary has gone up. So that means when my salary goes up, even uh, 10% of 60000 and 10% of 90000 are two different numbers. Right. So I think that a lot of people don't understand the percentage game and how those types of things overall come up. Mm-hmm. And everyone's sacrifice is different. Some people sacrifice their Saturdays and their social life and Starbucks coffee. <laughs> the, <laughs> so what that was they it could. That they used to say that millennials really like. Oh, the, uh, avocado, the toast. avocado toast. Uh. And like, oh, <laughs> girl, that is not what is taking me out. Right. Exactly. But, yeah. So if that's your sacrifice, Cool. Like, let that be your sacrifice. My sacrifice was I just took home a little bit less. And and is it really a sacrifice when it's untaxed money going into my 401k (laughs) that I built up? And if I would if I need to take out use to flip to invest, I can do that, too. Like Mm -hmm. I gave myself options. And the only thing I, I said before I left my mama house was that I had to pay off my car. 
I was not leaving my mama's house with a car note. I just yeah. could not do it. And I paid off my car. Ah, and I could have paid off my car a lot sooner. Thank you. I could have paid my car off a lot sooner. But again, my focus was investing. My focus was getting as much money as I could in some type of investing vehicle to set me up so that when I did need to borrow against it or when I did need to use that money, I could use it. Mm-hmm. And some people's mind isn't there. And that's fine. But don't don't be mad that yeah. I, I chose a different route. I chose a route of increase and abundance and bringing in more instead of stripping my life away. Because at, one, at some point, oh you, Love that. you have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is such a good point because... There are a lot of gurus out here, and I'm going to go ahead and name drop one of them. (laughs) So Dave Ramsey, for those who have heard of him, he has the baby steps. Have you heard of him and the baby steps? I mean, I I think I've heard that name. I I, I I mean, (laughs) we don't really talk about it, but I'm about to talk about it because this is I just asked you, like, what was the mistake that you made when it comes to money? Here's a mistake that I made was listening to Dave Ramsey. (laughs) Okay, so. He says that if you have debt, which I also had a lot of student loan debt, still do, Mm -hmm. that you should not be investing. I don't know if you've heard about this. And I thought that that was correct because he's this financial guru. He's one of the biggest. So when I graduated and I had started contributing to my 401k when I first started working, but then I heard about this in the baby steps and I was like, oh, I got to pause my contributions until I'm debt free. You know how long it will be before I'm debt free and how much? That money that was invested could have grown. So I paused my contributions for probably like six months, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't think it got quite up to a year because I started listening to other people, thank God. But yeah, this is why we say personal finance is personal. Yes. So like you need to make the right decision based on what your goals are and not just listen to whatever somebody else tells you. Even the stuff that we're saying on this episode, like if you don't agree with it, Go with something else that works best for you, you know? Yeah. So I'm really glad that you said that. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's very interesting, but I, I want people to give themselves options. And when you let go of money, that this is my mama, my mama loves to say she wants to hold on to money as long as possible. When you continuously funnel money out, you giving yourself less options. So that's why I decided that I wanted to do an increase. And listen, I have, since the student loan freeze, I have not paid one one red cent <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to my no student point. loans. And I owe $75,000 worth of student loans. Mm-hmm. But like, let's think about that. My financial net worth is like, what, like $2,000 now. And that's why I say I'm super transparent about my journey. I started at a negative $56,000. For my student loans to be $75,000, that means I have over $75,000 worth of investments. Like, what more is monumental to that? I I don't, again, I could have paid off that. I could have went hard and paid off that $75,000 in in two years. I'm I'm very confident that I could have done that. Yeah. But I would not have been able to grow my business as much as I did. I would not have been able to be the person and travel and go drive to go kiss my nephew um mm-hmm. who who's just born in Charlotte uh-huh. um North Carolina I wouldn't be there to show up for all my other nieces and nephews for their recitals and for the things that they did because I would be working all the time I would be fighting tooth and nail to add every extra dollar 10 dollars to my 
pay off my student loans. Like, yeah. no, mm-hmm. that's not the life that I deserve. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So I know you're the bougie budgeter. So we need to talk about budgets <laughs> at some point in this episode. So let's <laughs> go ahead and get into it. So okay. what would you say to the person who is kind of turned off by the idea of a budget? Because it is a really taboo topic. So I'm going to say this to my mama because my mama hates when I use the word budget. <laughs> <laughs> she she does not like she does not like it being called a budget because and I understood I understand where she's coming from. And, and you probably if you're a person who doesn't like the word budget, it's probably because it sounds restrictive. And it's probably because it's telling, it makes you feel like you're telling yourself no and someone else is giving, you're giving someone else or something else power over your dollars. And I get it. It, And because no one wants to feel like that. No one wants to feel like I go to work every day. You know, (laughs) nobody should be able to tell me what I can't spend my money on. And I like how the budget Nista will call it your yes plan. And I like to just say it's my my financial system. It's my money system. Yeah. And no matter what name you give it, you have to have some type of organization and structure to how you are treating your money. I don't care if it is just sticky notes all over your house. You have to have some type of rhyme or reason, some type of system. I am a systematic thinker. I think, you know, shout out to any accountants out there. (laughs) Most of us think systematically because that's how that's how you you process money money Mm -hmm. goes through a system and if the bank has a system for how they collect and manage their funds why don't you think that you should have a a system to collect and manage your funds why is your why are your bills a shocker to you every month they shouldn't be (laughs) you should know exactly what date they're coming out you should know when and how much they're coming out. If a bill is increasing, you should know by how much and why. Fight tooth and nail for to get your bills lower and do all of those kind of things. But you hate the word budget, so you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so silly. Yeah, so silly. And it happens a lot. I feel like I've heard other terms like spending plan. And yeah, just like you mentioned earlier, it's like your strategy. It's your system. And maybe that's a better way of phrasing it. I don't know. We need to rebrand the word budget. But yeah, I think it's important to think of it more as a tool that can help you build wealth and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish and get the things you want to get, buy the things, do the things that you want to do, because you're you're deciding how to spend your money. You make up the budget. So (laughs) you get to choose if you want to spend it on eating out or doing whatever. Go ahead and funnel that money into your budget, like that line item. And then figure out where you can come up with money for the rest of it. Obviously, save and pay your bills first. But it's way easier when you think about it like that. Absolutely. And and you can go through a lot of different iterations of what a budget looks like. It took me about six months to figure out what type of budget worked for me. And I am not a girl who who needs to have a line item for everything. I tried the traditional budgets <laughs> where... They had all the line items and this is how much you're supposed to spend on your hair this month. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, 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 this. Yeah. And what I kept finding was I was overspending in so many areas, but at the bottom line, I was still on par. So I'm right. like, this looks like a bad report card. I'm over <laughs> it. I hate it. Yeah. And I can't, I cannot be someone who focuses on all the tiny line items. I needed to figure out a way that 
I wasn't focused on the tiny, minute details Mm -hmm. and get to point A to point B. Like, how much money is coming in? Yeah. That's the first thing. How much money needs to come out? My my bills. I keep my bills in my one bill pay account. And then how much money do I need to save to hit the goals that I want to hit? And then the last thing is spend whatever I have left over. Like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares if I spend $300 on my hair this month? Who mm-hmm. cares? Yeah. I'm not getting my information. I'm, I'm not going to get a $40 haircut. Like, this is not how black hair works. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I know, Which I have another- an hair appointment next week. I'm like, hmm, what, what do I have saved up for this? Cause, yeah. yeah, and and my thing is, is like, uh, going back to how you talked about, like, diversifying where you get your financial education from. I can't continue to only listen to old white men tell me how mm-hmm. to budget and how to run my financial education or run my finances because there's never a time in their life that they have been a, a young black woman. Yep, and absolutely. they don't understand the types of struggles, the types of sacrifices that you have to make, the types of the types of of dis- financial decisions that you have to make when you are a young black woman in America. You can go to work looking crazy. You can go to work d- looking disheveled and 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 whatever. You can live in a tiny town. Six six hundred miles outside of the nearest major city. That's literally not safe for me mm-hmm. because I guarantee you that tiny town does not have any black people in it. Yeah, yeah. There's always that extra layer that we have to think about. It's an extra layer, and and it's so great. I'm so great grateful to see all the people who who can live in these random towns in Utah and and save a bunch of money because. That's all they need and their minimalism and all of that. I don't care. Shout out to y'all, but mm-hmm. like, leave me alone if I want to go <laughs> and take a trip or if I want to spend $500 on a, on a coach bag. Yeah, I did. And my life is not over. My budget is not in shambles mm-hmm. and I can live to see another day. Like, come on, chill. Yeah. chill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. So funny. So you mentioned circling back. You mentioned that it took you about six months to figure out a budget mm-hmm. strategy that worked for you. So what steps would you recommend someone take to create a budget or figure out a system that works for them? So I think figuring out a system that works for you just, number one, requires a lot of patience. And when we're starting our budget, first keep in mind that you need to stick to it at least at least for three months. The first month is going to suck because especially if you're like catching up on bills or if you're restructuring how you're paying bills, you're going to feel very, very broke that first month. It's going to (laughs) feel horrible. And you're going to be like, this is the worst thing ever. And then the second month, you're like, okay, I don't hate this. I don't love it, but I think I might get it. And then by the, the, the last, that last month, you're like, okay, now you, you have enough data to figure out, okay, I cannot do it this way because of this. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing it this way, let me do it this way. And now I can add a little extra money to my budget here versus how I thought I was going to do it. Maybe I need to d- decrease my savings a little bit and pump up my investments. Or maybe I should decrease my savings and increase my spending because I just felt like I was I was pushed real, real thin for my savings. 
And I think that, yeah, so one, that's the first thing. Give it a 90 days, 90 day rule. Like even your job gives you 90 days (laughs) to figure out what you're doing. Yeah. So give yourself 90 days. It's not going to, it's not going to feel great. The first, especially that first month, the first Mm -hmm. month is going to be terrible. And then I like to just, how I like to do it is just break it into four steps. Look at your income, how much money is coming in. Then look at your expenses, write down everything that is not variable. So anything that is fixed, make sure you write that down. Like, you know, your Netflix, your Hulu, your whatever, your rent, all of those things that have to come out of your check, no matter what, every month or like every other month. Uh, I pay my my car insurance every six months. So however, whatever money needs to come out, do that. And then set your savings rate. You know, what are you saving for? Are you saving for your, are we, are we saving for some vacations? Are we saving for the next house? What, like, what are you saving for? Set a savings goal, set your savings rate, and then whatever you have left over, spend it, whatever. And which is why I'll also recommend with that, with that method, having at least three bank accounts. You want to have just your, your bill pay account, whatever is whatever bills need to be paid just comes out of that account. Then you want to have your savings account. Your savings account should not be anywhere near your bill pay money or your spending money because that money is to stay put, is there to save and mm-hmm. grow. And then your last account is your spending account. And that's the card that you take out whenever you're going out. Spend, spend, spend. Have a backflip, do a dance, <laughs> whatever. And don't feel bad about whatever you're spending in your spend account because that yeah. money is there to be spent. That's exactly what I do too. I also try to trick myself into saving more money. So I basically, first of all, automate everything. I don't know if you do that too, but I prefer to automate everything. because <laughs> I don't want to think about it. So I start saving before I, it even hits my bank account. I don't even mm-hmm. realize. And so I actually have a separate savings account at a different bank that I can't see, I can technically go on the mobile app, but not within my main checking account bank. Right. So I have more of my savings over there. That way it's kind of hidden and I go and surprise myself every now and then I'll go look and see how much I have in there. And then I have a separate savings in the same account that I have my checking account, but it's less, but it's just more immediate access Mm -hmm. to it. But that's just one thing because I knew that if I could see all the extra cash in there, I would just easily transfer it over into my checking account and I didn't want to keep doing that. So I had to separate it. But other than that, I have the exact same three accounts too. That's that's how I do it. Yeah. Divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Divide and conquer. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope after listening to this episode, our listeners will see budgets as a tool where they can get more out of what they want instead of something that is restrictive. So thank you so much for sharing your story. So inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I do have a question that I'm asking all of my guests. And I hear this all the time. And I've even said it myself. I wish I had known this or learned this sooner. So I'm curious, what is the most important lesson or something that you've learned when it comes to managing your money that you think would be helpful for our audience to know? What I wish I would have known is just saying no. And it's like cliche, whatevs, but like, I love that I've set boundaries for my dollars. And I heard something just talking about boundaries, like boundaries don't don't have anything to do with outside forces. Like, for me, my boundary is, it's just, I don't, I don't eat fast food. 
or like when when I'm traveling, I do not stay at two star hotels. Mm-mm, I can't. Do I it. don't do that. And <laughs> knowing that I have to say no to those kind of things means that I have to say yes to making more money. Mm-hmm. I have to say yes to if if I'm a this bougie lifestyle, then I have to say yes to negotiating and getting more and increasing my money as much as possible because I got to say no to, to, to the subpar. Right. And saying no is so powerful in so many different contexts. It's saying no without explanation. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have to tell you that I don't have the money. And I could actually have the money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you shouldn't have to explain or justify yeah. yourself. I'm not going to, I don't pretend to be broke. I'm just going to say no. Mm-hmm. I don't have to lie. If I don't want to go, I'm not going to go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Just say no. That's great just advice. Just say no. <laughs> no context. Yeah. No, nah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again, Michael. It was great speaking with you. Can you go ahead and let listeners know where they can find you online? Yes, yes, yes. So you can find me literally everywhere. And I mean everywhere at Bougie Budgeter. So B-O-U-J-I-E because Bougie with the G looks like boogie to me. And Budgeter is B-U-D-G-E-T-E-R. So everywhere is Bougie Budgeter. And if you want to get really spicy, I do have a free, yes, free five-day course. It is called the 10K Stackathon because like that man that was mentioned earlier who said that $1,000 was enough for a savings account. Mm. It's not, especially if most places your rent bare minimum is $2,000. So I am on a mission to helping people save $10,000, $1 at a time. And if you are just getting started on your financial journey, check it out, check it out and let me know how I can help. I'm, I'm just all about helping and giving people the the feeling of empowerment Mm -hmm. that they can do it and that they're not stupid and if they didn't know now they know and now they can do better with their money because of it exactly yeah i love that instilling confidence that's great thanks for tuning in to the first hustle then brunch podcast if you enjoyed this episode or learned something new i'd love if you subscribed and left us a review Another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at First Hustle Then Brunch so I can repost it. Thank you so much for supporting the show and I'll see you in the next episode.